And the thing is, it's like that doubt is so crippling. That's like, I, 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 uh, when people come to me, I say that they are in the dungeon of doubt. Mm -hmm. um, and it, you have to unlock yourself from that first to be able to move forward. But a child doesn't have that in the learning process. So where is it that they learn to doubt themselves? So here's the big question. Have you ever been so financially frustrated from years of poor financial decisions only to wonder why didn't they teach me in school anything about how to manage money? I've spent the last 20 years learning the secrets to how money really works and how to use it to get financially free on a goal to retire early. I've realized how much of an impact we could have on the world by teaching financial literacy, entrepreneurship, and a successful mindset. Join me as I interview some of the world's most successful business owners, coaches, and parents to get them to share their secrets on how you can not only learn, but teach these lessons to your kids to become financially free and impact your children's financial trajectory so they can avoid the frustration and go on to do great things. I'm Cody Laughlin, and this is the Money Talkers Podcast. Welcome back, Money Talkers. This is your host, Cody Laughlin. I have Kimberly Spencer here with me. She is an award-winning high-performance coach, a trainer, Amazon best-selling co-author, international motivational speaker, the founder of Crown Yourself, helping achieving visionary leaders build their empire and sparkle with holistic fulfillment in their bodies, business, and relationships. From her entrepreneurial beginnings of selling bags of glitter water to her neighbors, to an, becoming an award-winning screenwriter, certified Pilates instructor, Miss Congeniality, and six-time WeGo Health Activist Award nominee, Kimberly is proof that it's better to make your own mold than to conform to someone else's. She's also the former executive of a national e-commerce startup and was the owner of the private Pilates Studios Fitness with Kim, among a bunch of other things, including a Netflix docu-series that I want to get into. And so... I could keep going, but with all that, hopefully I've uh, I've put a smile on her face and embarrassed her a little bit, but welcome to the show, Kimberly. How you doing? Thank you so much for having me, Cody. I am so excited to be here. I have to say the first thing that caught my attention is your, uh, your poster behind you because so many, one of my girlfriends, she calls me the queen of ownership and I'm like, I, I don't love excuses. And so the, you're the poster behind you that either I will find a way or create a way, but I will not create an excuse. I was like, I saw it. I was like, we're going to get along just fine. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. I am. I am. I, 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 I don't know. Maybe I'm like the jester of ownership or something, but, <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, I, you know, that kind of embodies the way that I feel about things. Um, you know, like I don't, for me, that what that means is um, you, you can. There's always a solution, right? That's what I say to my kids all the time. I'm like, there's always a solution. You may not won't be willing to do what it takes to get the solution that you want, but there's always a solution, you know. And so um, that's what I don't. I'm not a big fan of uh, of excuses either. And uh, sometimes I have to remind myself of that too. So. <laughs> hey, I I sometimes have to remind myself of that too. So keeps, I mean, keeps just me on my toes. <laughs> oh yeah yeah so tell me myself what, i mean <laughs> this this laundry list of things like you are uh very accomplished in a world of different things so um so tell me this as a uh, as as what you're doing now as a as a life coach um what what drew you to that from all these different avenues of things that you've done 
it really was looking at the holistic picture because I, I was bought out of my e-commerce company three weeks before I got married. And on my honeymoon, I was like, well, what do I do when I get back? And I already, I'd been a screenwriter. I'd had my Pilates studio. I'd had an e-commerce company. I'd figured out the relationship bit because I, I met, the, I found and married the love of my life. And I, I figured out the body image stuff because I overcame with no psychological or medical intervention, a 10 year battle with bulimia. So I knew that I had these, these skill sets in body business relationships, but I just didn't know how to combine them into like one holistic thing. And then after way too many espressos with my husband on the couch and of, of our Airbnb in Italy, I leaped off the couch and I said, crown yourself. And my husband's like, what's that? I said, I don't know, but that's what my, my company stands for. That's what my name of my business is. That's what it, that's what it is. And for me, like I grew up wanting to be a princess among many other things. <laughs> And I never liked the, the bullshit princess stories of let me just, you know, get kissed by a guy and let me just, you know, lose my shoe. And then suddenly something like, then I become queen. I, I love the stories of princesses who really had to transform, who had to evolve. Like my mom went out to the library when I was like six years old to try and find me these types of princess stories because they just didn't exist. Like they, they, like they, but she found some of them, but I wanted stories of transformation. And that's what were, that, that was the stories that I would put on in, in my backyard. I would put on these big backyard productions and that's where I sold my bags of glitter water. Um, Cause I had, a built -in I wasn't going to get to that by the way. Yeah. <laughs> I had a built in audience. I found my investors for my show, which were my parents. Um, I wrote, directed, produced the whole thing. And of course, uh, starred as the lead. Um, Naturally. And, and then I sold, <laughs> and then I sold products there. And the great part about putting on a backyard production is that you have a built-in audience. So the parents always will pay. <laughs> so I was able to, I was quite entrepreneurial and I think it helps because I was raised by two entrepreneurs. I saw my parents build a multi-million dollar business over the course of 30 years, even with my dad being an addict for the entirety of that. And that experience was like, if I, if he could do that, if my parents could do that over the course of 30 years, what could I do in 10? What could I do in five? Mm. And so it set this hunger of entrepreneurship in, in me. And the great part was, was that like in any career path, I was very much encouraged to follow my curiosity. And so screenwriting allowed me to learn how to tell stories and how so few stories there are out there. Like there's really, if you, if you break down stories, like in, in movies, there's only about seven stories that are constantly repeated across all forms of cinema. Really? And that's so common with life yeah. as well. And so often it's, it's, it's our egos that make us think that, oh, our story is so different. Well, not necessarily. It's following the same through line. It's following these same beliefs. It's, it, it has the same outcome. And teaching Pilates allowed me to expose myself to new ways of being. It allowed me to get out from the, the victim mentality, reactive mindset that I was growing up in, being uh, in an addict home. Um, that, that allowed me to see that there's a new way, uh, that there were different ways of living, of operating, of believing, of feeling, of, of existing in the world. And it exposed me to different like uh, I was teaching 10 hours a day, 
10 different bodies a day, six days a week. So I was able to have this like immersion into the mindset. And what I found from that experience was that it wasn't whether somebody was technically fat or technically thin. It wasn't whether somebody technically ate healthy or they really didn't. It really, it wasn't whether somebody worked out five times a week or they worked out like once a month. What I saw was a common denominator was what mattered was how they thought about their bodies, which translated it into the results they were getting. And that, that piece of the mindset, that's what allowed me to, to cure myself in essence of a 10 year battle with, with bulimia, because I was able to see, okay, if it's, if it's not me, if it's, if it's my mindset, if it's how I'm thinking about this problem, then what if I started thinking about this problem differently? And so that allowed this massive transformation. And in the, in the beauty of all of these evolutions of different businesses and careers, I saw that my through line has always been in transforming people's stories. It's always in transformational stories of going from problem to possible, of going from victim to, to victor, of to, to being able to have that transformational journey where people rise into their reign. And what, what I love about the princess metaphor is that when a princess is born, let's say she's in lineage to be a, like to, to have the crown, she is treated from the moment that she is born with the expectation that she is going to rise into that. Yet how often do we have these dreams that we, that we aspire to achieve in our life and people say, oh, that's not realistic or, oh, that's too weird or, oh, that you're going to burn yourself out or you're going to work too hard or don't go for that or that's, you know, that's too risky. So we have all these, these doubters of this council that's around us that no wonder we don't get into that space of leading our life and leading that mission and leading from that place of purpose and leading from that thing that we're naturally gifted at. You know, uh, that reminds me, I call it the crab mentality. Have you ever heard of that? Yeah, crabs where, in a bucket. Yeah, where they can't get out because they're the ones just ripping back down, you know? Yep. And so, um, but you you just unpacked a bunch of different things that I think I want to talk about with you. Um, one of them was, you mentioned that you were entrepreneurial because your parents were entrepreneurs. And I've had other guests that I've asked, like, I, I am clearly a serial entrepreneur. I can't stop. Um, but uh, I see it in my kids. But I don't know if I'm looking for it or if they're naturally doing that or they're emulating me or if it's a gene. Like, I don't, I, I really, I don't know. I don't under, I don't know, like, how... Well, I do know this. So, like, I grew up thinking, okay, I could own a business because my parents were entrepreneurial. I didn't know my dad had what quote unquote be side hustles today, but he was mm -hmm. like a, he was like a sales manager for a huge sales crew. But like on the weekends we were out like hustling stuff, you know what I mean? Like different money making ideas, all this stuff. So it just came naturally to me, but we didn't really talk about money. And so I became an entrepreneur, opened up four companies and became, you know, what quote unquote people probably say successful. And then I lost everything because I had no principles. I had no foundation. Right. And I wonder, like, that's what I think with money talkers, why I think it's so important that we talk about money and that we talk about entrepreneurship and we talk about mindset because it just becomes, it normalizes it. It's almost like mm -hmm. you said with the princess, she's expected to rise, but in her mind, she expects to rise to it too, right? Mm -hmm. And so I don't know if we're planting these things or I, I, I think we can control it a little bit. And that's what I, my hope is. I think if you look at 
at children because I, I have a toddler and currently he tells me he has nine cafes up and down the Gold Coast and like 14 homes. Um, so, so manifesting. I, I like it. <laughs> man, he's, he's a master manifester. <laughs> and the thing is, is I see that and I'm like, okay, so he's seen me grow a business. He's seen my husband grow a business. Like he's seen this, but I also think that the creativity that comes with children is part of what natural entrepreneurship is like entrepreneurs see a, see a problem solve it right see a problem solve it like no child no no human wants to be stuck in a problem for a long time but sometimes we just get acclimated to being in that problem we settle for but it for example like if you look at a kid when they're first learning like one of my greatest lessons was watching my son learn how to walk and I later learned that a child falls 10,000 times before they're successfully walking 10,000 times so there's that that Malcolm Gladwell number coming back in right <laughs> on learning how to walk so I saw my child experiencing this and I saw that his falls were not an identity thing they weren't oh I'm I'm a bad person oh well I'll never be able to achieve that because and, and I asked myself why is that and I saw and I said well he sees everyone else around him naturally walking on two legs so why would he even question that he's not going to get there so, and yet so much of, so many people, when they're starting out on their entrepreneurial journey, the number one thing I help my clients with is the doubt that they're starting with, the lack of trust in themselves and the, the, the thought that, and the judgments that they place either on themselves or on others or on their clients or on the people that they want to work with. Um, and they place these external judgments on them. And the thing is, it's like that doubt is so crippling. That's like, I I. Uh, when people come to me, I say that they are in the dungeon of doubt. Mm -hmm. um, and it, you have to unlock yourself from that first to be able to move forward. But a child doesn't have that in the learning process. So where is it that they learn to doubt themselves? Because that, and that, that's my question is, is where is it that they learn? Because you see a child when they're learning, like my son, he's three and he's in this amazing pre-kinder and he loves learning and he loves going to school and it's so excited. But in like, I, I know in, in our pre-conversation, I mentioned Napoleon Hill's Outwitting the Devil, which is one of my new favorite books. Um, and Napoleon Hill mentioned in the book, especially in the audiobook, there is um, the, the commentators commentating on, on this book. She says, she said, if you look at a child when they first enter kindergarten, pre-kinder they're so excited to learn they're so excited they're hungry what happens in those 10 years by the time they're you know 15 that they just they couldn't care less it's kind of sucked out of them the joy of learning the joy of growth is gone why and I like for me I think it is because we start to associate our identity with the results that we're achieving rather yeah. than normalizing the path of progress of saying, of course, I'm going to get to these results, but what if there are like 5,000, 5 million different ways to get to these results? What if but there I, is more than a grade? I'm, I'm sorry for button. And I just, but it okay. sparked something like, I don't think they're learning anymore. I think they're memorizing, right? Yeah. Like I, I see for me, like I love to learn something that's going to produce a result that I want. 
I couldn't care less where the comma goes. I'll be honest with you. I really, you know, I mean, I, w I had a very high level math classes and like I could figure out the solution to it, but it was like, why do I need to know this? And I was right, right? Like I didn't need to know those things, but there were certain things that I did that I, like now I, I mean, I've learned, I, I've, I wouldn't say, I've, I mean, I haven't like, I don't want to put this in a round context saying I have learned a lot more since I got out of school because pretty much everybody has if you've ever been, you know, in the life. But I mean, like, I have intentionally gone out to learn things that I've wanted to learn because I wanted to be able to do the thing that I wanted to learn. Does that make yeah, sense? I, right? Oh, yeah. Because and, I'm and I don't, but I don't think we're doing that in school. We're not fostering those things, right? Like, there's like, what, you know, um, I don't know. I mean, I like social studies, like, you're memorizing a bunch of facts, but you know, I don't really know that there's a result that comes from that. I'm not saying we shouldn't mm -hmm. do those things, but I think we need to integrate more. Uh, I think we need to integrate smartly around what we're putting out there as actually learning. And I, cause mm -hmm. I think that that's what we just talked about, right? Like if you, nobody wants to do the same problem 30 years or for straight in a row, you know, but same thing with school by like the 10th year of it, it's like, okay, I got to memorize this. I got to take a test. And then I got to go to the next thing and memorize that and take a test, you know? Yeah. I think that's where the repetitiveness, at least it was for me in school. But I mean, I, yeah. I have, I think I have that gene too, though, where like I, you know, I have that entrepreneurial piece in me. Um, there's a book called Entrepreneurial Personality Type by Alex Sharfin, EPT. And I'd never, I read it two years ago and I'd never felt like something understood me more in my entire life. Oh, wow. <laughs> it's really that's amazing. good. <laughs> that's amazing. <laughs> so, I love that you brought up why of learning because that's something that I struggle like that I saw as well because I and I look back to when I was in high school you I like science just did not interest me and it was not I didn't I, I didn't know why I had to memorize a whole bunch of things and body types and body parts but then I go on to become a Pilates instructor and I get really fascinated with kinesiology why because I found a way to apply it personally to, to me yeah, there's and, an end game. My right? own struggles <laughs> that I was dealing with with my body. And by having that personal application, I was able to then see how that could be of service to others. Yeah. Rather than it be and so if you had told me like when I was 15 that I'd be reading books on neuroscience and on on kinesiology and like I would be like, no, you're you're crazy. I'm not like into the brain, like I'm not a science person. But I, I labeled that as my identity because that, that was also what I didn't get good grades in. Yeah, I'm not that, right? That's <laughs> that lets you off the hook. That means you don't have to do it anymore, yeah. right? That's the that's yeah. this that's this poster back here, right? Like, yeah. oh, I'm not I'm not good at science, so therefore I don't have to be good at science, right? And it's like yeah, saying, and we label you know, these identities. Yeah. So, well, you mentioned something else too, though, about um, you know, what you're dealing with people in the in the dungeon of doubt. I believe you said it was, yes. and. Uh, <laughs> So I'm a big fan of the thought of paradigms um, and it's not the way the world is. It's the way you see it, you know, and a lot of times what I do to explain that with people is I say, Hey, you know, have you ever read a book twice? Right. Have you read it different parts of your life? And they're like, yeah. I'm like, is it the same book to you? And they're like, no, same words, but it's a different book because you see the world a little different. And so I, I, I want to get your thoughts on being able to control your thoughts, because it sounds like that's something that you have to break a little bit on day one as you're coming in to try to get people to be higher achievers. Um, it's less about controlling your thoughts. It's more that recognizing that your thoughts aren't you. Mm. So it's not a thought is not something to be controlled. And a thought is a byproduct of a feeling. 
So, so often we like, cause if you're stuck in a, in a negative thought, like, let's just say like a negative thought, like the common one that I, I hear is like, I'm a failure. And if you're stuck in that thought, it's not that it, it's the thought that's on repeat, but it's for coming from the feeling. And so often we haven't dealt with those, those negative emotions. So we're trying to control the, the, the thought when it's like, that's, that's not really the thing. It's, it's how are we, our feelings are our internal guidance system. They're like our internal thermostat. And so if you're vibrating at the thought of like, I'm, I'm a failure, then what are those feelings that you're feeling? You may be feeling guilt, shame, anger at yourself, fear that you won't be a success, but you're feeling all these negative emotions. So that kind of keeps, that's what keeps people stuck more than just being on this hamster wheel of this crappy thought. So how do you release that feeling first and foremost the, of the identity of, because your subconscious mind, it's the domain of the emotions. So how can you release that feeling to then allow that feeling to be a signal? So one of the, the big shifts that I, I work with my clients on is how do you feel your feelings as a leader? Like how do you process those everyday emotions? Because we all get frustrated. We all have anger. We all have moments of guilt. Like we're human. How do you go through that as a leader and leading a team or even just as a mom, you're a leader as well. People are looking to you. And I think one of the greatest perception shifts to make is, is starting to see yourself as a leader because your kids will listen to what you do more far more than what you say. <laughs> and And the other thing is, how do you process those negative emotions? That's that thermostat that you're right that you're you're used to vibrating at that identity. So if you're used to the thought of I'm a failure, and you're used to those emotions of shame, of guilt, of apathy, of resigning yourself to this identity that you you've been, that you've believed that you're in, well, it, let's shift those emotions first. And what do those emotions have to say? So one of the things that I've found in my coaching practice is that the emotions that you have, they are a guidance system for what matters to you. They're a guidance system of something that you want. They're a guidance system for your values and for something that you value. Like when I found out that my anger was not a bad thing because I, 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 I stopped slapping the label of morality onto it. But when I found out that anger was oh my gosh, that means that I care about this. That means that I'm passionate about this. That means that I like, when I get really angry, like certain things that make me very angry um, are like hypocrisy. And I'm like, well, what, what is it about hypocrisy that really, really just like drives that stake in? And I had to sit with my anger to look at the package that was being given. Because inside the package of anger, was something that I value. I value ownership. I value authenticity. I value integrity. And so it showed me what I value. So how can I bring to light, instead of living in the darkness of those negative emotions, how can I bring to light the things that I value more? And then through bringing those things to light, the value of integrity, the value of authenticity, the value of, of, of ownership, that, that then, that, that there is something to work with. That's an amazing way to look at that. Um, it's not what am why am I feeling the wrong way? It's what am I feeling the right way about that's getting me to feel this wrong way, right? Is that kind of a roundabout nutshell way of putting that in there together? Um, I really like the I really like that perspective. Um, you know, it's not 
like I, I knew, <laughs> I knew we, you were right when you said we were going to get her along because I hypocrisy is one of mine. <laughs> it's up there pretty high uh, that I don't really care for. Um, and so, you know, it's uh, and it's being fed to us quite a bit these days. It seems like you know, uh, yeah. I, I think the social media stuff is causing a lot of that. But I don't want to get too far down that rabbit hole. Um, so, how would you? How do you? how do you apply that? What would be your advice as not just a business leader? Because when I see business leaders, I also think about household leaders, right? There were a lot of things that I had that I learned in my business. And I was an entrepreneur, and the things I had to study to become a better leader to build a bigger company that I brought home, right? And there is a fine line there, because employee to family doesn't really apply very well. So it's the approach and the delivery that matters a lot. Um, but how would you, thinking about what you just talked to me about, how would you advise a parent to apply that with their kids? So for me, I don't look at feelings as being bad. And I, I grew up feeling shame about my anger that I had, but looking back, I know exactly why I had the anger. Cause I saw my, my parents were very, uh, had very strong Christian beliefs, but then I saw my dad concurrently having this addictive behavior that he would hide, that he would lie about. Um, and that hypocrisy really, really bothered me. And I was taught that my anger was bad, but my anger was just a reflection of something that I deeply valued that I didn't understand. And so one of the things that I, I work on with my son is really focusing on that all your feelings are completely valid, like giving the validity. There's no right or wrong way to feel. I'm not, who am I to judge how somebody else is feeling? Like, even, even if they're a toddler, like who, who am I to judge that feeling of anger or of disappointment? And I look at also labeling the variety of, of, of labels of a feeling. So I don't look at um, one of the things that I've seen and, and looked into is that people in, uh, in, in poverty and in lower income states, they, the kids tend to have less of a range of vocabulary for their feelings. And so how, so if there is, if there is no range, then it's from like apathy to suddenly like rage, there's no disappointment. There's no. Uh, frustration, peeved, upset, uh, sad, like, because sometimes those, those, those emotions are labeled as bad or as wrong or as girly, or we're, we're not allowing ourselves to fully experience that range, that beautiful rainbow of human emotions that we have. And so, especially with kids, like with my son, I look at how can we label this? So sometimes he goes, I, I'm not feeling so good because when he's feeling sad, he says, I'm not feeling so good. And so I say, well, I said, I, I said to me, it sounds like you're feeling maybe disappointed that you didn't get what you wanted or that you're feeling upset or you're feeling um, uh, wronged or you're feeling. And so I look at just labeling and finding finding more words to label our feelings with. So it's not this like from zero to a hundred in the span of 60 seconds. It's mm -hmm. it's there's the degrees of saying, oh, okay, I know that if I continue feeling this feeling, I'm gonna go to a hundred, but I can stop it here, I can label it and I can process it at the level of frustration instead of having it go all the way to anger or rage. You're not committed to that. 
Yeah. If you're not, not, you're you're once you're committed to anger and rage and mad, then you've got to behave in what you perceive you need to behave as an anger and mad and rage. Mm-hmm. Right. You can't so, rage. You can't rage and be peeved at the same time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. Very different. Peeves is like mildly annoyed. Yeah. Versus like rage. Yeah. Like, but I, I like that though because it kind of lets you off the hook of getting so far, because right? Because it kind of lets you it lets you process it in a way that's it's a little it's less than, and you can solve a problem if you're peeved. If you're in rage, solving the problem is not the goal. It's to rage. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And, and same with same with fear. Like if you're all the if you're all the way all the way at the other end of the spectrum at, in full fear, your your brain is literally operating on fight or flight. Your your yeah. vision is narrowed, and so you've lost perspective. You've lost your peripheral vision. Like in a biological sense, you've actually physically lost peripheral your peripheral vision to be able to see the great the bigger picture because you're so narrow focused on solving that initial fear on, or on getting out or on fighting it on, on flying from it or from in freezing while you're in it. And so many people are stuck and frozen. I really love that. The, um, the, I will say though, there is one that I don't allow in my household, which is worry. I talk about that a lot. Right. I, and I don't say, I don't say you're not allowed to worry. What I say is, you know, they're like, I'm worried about, and I'm like, that's a wasted emotion. Right. Because your 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 fear is very valid very and very useful in our lives i mean that's how we evolved because i'm afraid of that bear running at me i'm going to run away but worrying you know when there's not a situation and i and i feel like a lot of times with entrepreneurs especially worry can sabotage you so bad i'm worried about this and i'm worried about and i and i really feel like worry is the one that sabotages the family unit because you, you it's, it's one that you you can't leave at the door like you can leave accounting and not doing accounting at home but if you're really worried about something that hasn't happened yet in the business you're going to go home with it and it's going to be in your mind you're not going to be present you're um you know you're you're going to be uh very defensive in the household there can be you know very short conversation you're just not there you're not present you know, and so for me, I had to take that and put it away. You know, we have a, the three complaint rule, and I and I say this, I tell my clients this too. So I'm like, you can complain about something that you're worried about for three times. By the third time, you either better do something about it or drop it because the worry is not, it's not serving. And when I when I see or experience worry, because I mean I'm high, I'm human too. Yeah. Um, like, oh yeah, don't get me wrong, I'm not immune to it. But it was yeah. mental. It was a mental trick for me to think about them in duffel bags, like in my hands, and then literally just dropping it and say, "What them. am I going to do about it?" That's a that's right. a powerful a powerful tool. And and with with worry specifically for me, I look at it. Oh, I'm facing. I'm I'm trying to drive in a direction while looking in the rearview mirror. That's, that's what I think about. That's a heck of an analogy. <laughs> and how effective, and sometimes that works. Like sometimes you can, you can hit the, you can hit the gas really hard. You can see something you don't want that scares you. And you can be like, like, I didn't want to be an addict. I didn't want to have those experiences. And I didn't want to replicate that childhood for my kid. I hit that gas pedal hard. Yeah. At the same time, eventually you have to shift your focus from the rearview mirror to what's in front of you. 
And so when I'm in a state of worry and, and when my clients get into a state of worry, I see that their focus is still looking in the rearview mirror rather than looking at what's ahead and what happens with worry and why people crash is because you can only drive so far and so fast while looking in the rearview mirror. I took a lot of worry. Um, and I, one of the, the key things, and I've, I've told other people on the podcast about this, so if you listen and you've probably heard this before, but um, there, was a po- there was a moment in my business where we were reading this book traction and in it, you know, it's fantastic. Number one best, most recommended that one in profit first by Mike Malkowitz. 100%. I have all Mike Malkowitz books. So, um, (laughs) but traction, we took it and implemented it. And we, it it was how I sold my company um, to the same company who wouldn't buy me the year before. And they said, the reason was because I was the linchpin of the entire organization. And I said, well, what does that mean? And they said, everyone comes to you and Scott, my partner for everything. And I'm like, so I was realizing that people were coming to me and I was saying all day long, let me think about it. Right. And so what I did is I realized that and I was like, you know what? I go, I'm never used, I don't think I'm really right more after I think about something than I am right less about if I answered right then. So I said, I don't know if you remember that Jim Carrey movie, Yes Man where he says yes to everything is, is so it's is oh. a Jim Carrey movie where he said he has to say he, he for like, I don't remember what it is like a month or something. He has to say yes to everything. And like crazy stuff happens. I didn't say yes to everything, but I determined that I was going to say, I was going to give an answer on the spot. Anytime anybody asked me a question and I started doing this. And what I ended up finding out was about 60% of the questions people wanted to come ask me, they weren't even asking me anyway. Cause they would walk up and be like, Oh, he's got that face on at the keyboard where he's thinking about something. And he's just going to say he's too busy. Right. And so I started answering all these questions and all of a sudden it was like, it was just freeing. Right. I know the one minute manager, the monkeys, I don't know if you've ever seen the monkey one minute manager, like they, they're collecting they, like people's problems and he's collecting all that. That's their monkeys. So he's keeping them. Well, that was me. I was keeping them all. And then I was coming home and I was just like wearing all this weight on me. And so, um, you know, when I, when I, when I started realizing that and I made this conscious decision, start answering everybody, I, I was like, I'm going to do this for three weeks and not say anything to anybody. Within one week, I had to have a full 60 person team meeting and be like, this is what I've been doing. And they're all like, well, we noticed because everybody's, you know, everything was buzzing and we just, we shot off like a rocket because yeah. I had given that thing back to them. And I wasn't, I wasn't worried about making the wrong decision anymore. And that's kind of how I yeah. came full circle with that worry part because, and I realized I was like, this is just a wasted emotion. Like I need to find out if I'm right or wrong faster so that I can get, it corrected or be right. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah, my favorite, one of my favorite books and one of the top ones that I recommend is the 15 commitments of conscious leadership. And one of the greatest, the, the first chapter, that, you said the that, 15 like, commitments of conscious, conscious leadership. leadership. Yeah. And by Jim Deathmar and Diana Chapman, I think. Um, but it's by the conscious leadership group. And the first and it was recommended to me by my mentor who scaled her business from zero to 30 million within three years. And I was like, whatever you, whatever you read, whatever you did. And follow she recommended success, right? Follow that one. <laughs> Don't so, fight it. Don't fight success. So she recommended that one and traction and both mm. we implemented in um, 2019 in late 2019 and saw we doubled our profits this past year in 2020. We, we doubled our profits again uh, and we doubled our gross income. And so it was, like it's, it's been the, the great thing that I love about the 15 commitments of conscious leadership is the, the one principle that they highlight on first is this, this principle is, are you operating above the line or below the line? And it's, are you operating from the space of 
right or wrong or from the space of learning or growth. Above the line is everything is for your learning and growth. So even if you make a quote unquote wrong decision, yeah. you're going to learn from it. And every time I've asked my clients, have you, what is the, what has been the greatest teacher? Has it been a coach or has it been an, um, uh, someone telling you what to do? Or has it been a course or has it been, you know, your education or has it been experience? And every time it's experience because I guarantee you like when somebody has made a million dollar lesson they're not going to repeat it <laughs> like, uh, yeah. or, like they they will not repeat <laughs> this guy it. learns and, from failures right here and yeah. some epic ones right <laughs> this is a really crappy teacher so when you when you're when you're in the space of looking at how you can learn from the success how you can learn from the failures and how you can really allow for that that growth Instead of it being this identity thing of, am I right? Am I wrong? Am I good? Am I bad? And it, the, operating in these polarities, if instead, what if everything, what if every decision you made was for your learning and growth? What if you had a culture where making mistakes was celebrated? Like in my company, we don't have customer issues. We have customer innovations. So every issue that's brought to us by a customer, a broken link, an issue with payment, a complaint, Every issue is an opportunity for us to innovate a service, to innovate our products, to innovate how we're doing things. And to really, and, and no one likes the, no one likes the feelings of being wrong. Like that's, that's something that's very deeply ingrained in us is, is the fear of being wrong. And yet, if you can allow yourself to check the ego and to have that moment be for your learning and your growth, man, you can grow so much farther and so much faster. Like you can, you can have it be, if you just allowed for, to ask the question, what if I'm wrong? What, what if I'm wrong? And so what, like, what if you created a culture of making mistakes is celebrated? Like I, my, my son too also struggles with making mistakes. I wonder where he got that from. <laughs> um, and so we made a big mistake recently. I have been saying for the past 20 weeks that I was sure this was a, this next one was a girl. I was sure. And then the ultrasound and we see all the bits and I was like, oh, mommy made a mistake. And what a great opportunity to teach the lesson that like making mistakes is okay. Yeah. And it's okay to be wrong. And so now like, yes, I'm undoing 20 weeks of a toddler's programming of, you know, Ooh, let's look forward to your sister. <laughs> but, but allowing for that that space to be like, hey, we made a mistake and it's okay. The world didn't end. It's okay to make mistakes and it's okay to, to look at what new blessings can come because it's a brother. Yeah, absolutely. I, um, I'll tell you real quick, when we did the, we did the implementation, then we did the, uh, the seats, right. Um, which was humongous for us because, uh, and then we gave accountability to each one of the seats and then we actually passed it out. We did an exercise that wasn't in there, but we, what we did is we had 10 people or 12 people at the table, the management table. And we said, okay, write down the three things, three most important things about your job or what you do. And then we said, okay, two people over write down their most important things of what they do. And we didn't have a single match. I kind of like all the answers in there, including myself. And so <laughs> we, we said, okay, here's what you're most responsible for. And then we put it on paper and we handed it out to everybody. We put them on the walls. And, uh, and I said, listen, here's the deal. Make a decision fast. Okay. I have been, I am been 
clear cut the one who's been the worst of you know of this and i'm going to hold myself accountable to this make a decision fast but when you make a decision do the best you can with the information you have if i come to you and you say hey this is why i made the decision we did and we know it was a wrong decision we're going to know not to do that that way anymore and we're going to figure out fast if i come to you and i say why'd you do this and you go i don't know then that's where we have an issue so you have responsibility to do the best you can in your spot and you won't be in trouble with us you know yeah. other than just whacking you know learning learning learn, you know crushing some customer you know in front of everybody like you know yeah. other than that but like any any normal job function decision that's your responsibility you make it and like yeah. we'll let you know if there's an issue or not an issue and if you messed up put your hand up and say dude i messed this up this is what i thought would have been a good way to do it and then it didn't work out i'm like all right cool well, it would have been a better way well we could have done this all right let's do that next time you know and then move on and it was just like boom 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 all of a sudden I now had entrepreneurial time back on my hands to do what drive the company revenues up right and to drive the bottom line and to go support people and help people because I wasn't making the smallest decisions. And my management team wasn't used to just handing off the problems to me. And it just we skyrocketed. It was amazing. That's I mean, amazing. it was absolutely amazing. And I came home a different person. I was excited to go to work like I was you know, I was I was taking all these weeks and weeks of questions. And what I found was I was running into people and I was like, I was like, oh my gosh, I forgot to get back to you about the, you know, which nuts and bolts to buy, you know, like, like I have any clue, you know, they don't let me around tools. So, <laughs> you know, and I'm like, <laughs> so I'm like, and then they'd be like, oh yeah, 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 don't worry about it. We figured it out. And I had been carrying this problem around in my head for weeks and they'd already solved it the same day without me. So I just kind of figured that out that you need to put those things in place. And so um, I, I want to keep talking to you, but I know that we need to end our time. And so um, where do people find out more about what you do and, uh, and who should, who should look to find you? So I work with visionary leaders in the formative stages of their companies. Most of my clients are making anywhere between 50,000 in their first year to 2 million. Um, and we really work on transforming those limiting belief stories that are holding you back. Because what I focus on is as the leader goes, so does the ship. We saw that with the Titanic. So when you start making, when you're making decisions as a leader, they're impacting the way the ship is steered. And so how can we shift your decision-making ability from one being from fear to one being of faith? Um, and I don't mean faith in the religious aspect, but like one of faith and vision and possibility and of what you want and what you're moving toward instead of looking in the rearview mirror. Yeah. Um, and ha then how do you build your team? How do you build the empire? How do you build the council around you that's supporting you that expects you to rise as much as you expect yourself to rise? And then how do you really serve from that place of soul and alignment? So many of my clients come to me when they're struggling between two things. They have their purpose. They feel like they have a greater calling in life. Maybe or maybe not their business matches that. Mm. Um, and how can we get the business to then match that and be in alignment with that purpose and that greater vision so that you know that you're already on traction to be achieving that vision within the next 10 years. And so most of my cl clients go on to double, if not triple their revenue within a year. So you act as an integrator to help out your visionaries. <laughs> I, yeah. <laughs> to tell them some yep. ideas are good and some ideas are bad, but yeah, so that's pretty good. That's pretty fun. That's that a, that's a, that's a, no, that was just a book. That was just a book. Yeah. Reference. Oh yeah. It's a total fact reference. I totally get it. It's more of looking at how they're thinking about their thinking. Yeah. So how, which, which is how, very hard to facilitate when in the noise, right? Yeah. 
yeah, it's hard to, I mean, I like to say that that's, that's why every football player, every football team, every sports team has a coach because the players, when you're in the field, when you're in the game, you're not assessing, you're not, you, you don't have the perspective of the whole field. Yeah. And that's, that's where the benefit of having a high performance coach come in. You can really look at not only how, how you're operating and how your team, how your business is operating, but how your family is Yeah. like, cause it's, it's all, all holistic, how it's you, how time. you're treating yeah. your body, because all of those pieces play into how you show up as a leader and all of those pieces. I mean, if you want to tank someone's productivity, bring problems in, in the marriage, like that's, that's the fastest way. So instead, how can we look at, at your life as a leader from the holistic standpoint of your marriage, your body, your business, and then being able to integrate how everything integrates and also who you need to hire and integrate into your team to to support you. And sometimes like some of the integrations that my clients have had where they've integrated people firing people, <laughs> they've integrated a massage therapist, they've integrated a nutritionist, they've integrated other aspects. So it's not just supporting their, their business life, but it's also supporting the fulfillment and freedom that they want in their, in their, in their personal life, which is why we're building businesses in the first place. So everyone should head to crownyourself.com. Is that the best place to find you? Absolutely. Awesome. Listen, I, uh, I've really enjoyed our talk, Kimberly. Um, I really appreciate what you're putting out there and, uh, and I wish you the best of luck to have that, uh, multiplier butterfly effect and, and helping leaders be better leaders because they're leading a lot of people and, and, and it just affects a lot of lives. So I appreciate what you're doing. Thank you. Thanks for so coming right on Money right Talkers. <laughs> Thanks for coming on Money Talkers. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening to another episode of Money Talkers with me, your host, Cody Laughlin. If you found this episode helpful in your pursuit of financial dominance, it really helps if you make sure to leave a five-star rating and share it with your friends or family members who could use good financial information and entrepreneurial success tips. I invite you to join the Money Talkers community Facebook group. Open Facebook and search for Money Talkers to join today. Follow us on Instagram at the Money Talkers for inspirational mindset posts, encouragement, and investing tips. And remember, the one thing you can do to change your kid's financial future is to start talking about money with them because you are a money talker.